0: Please turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 3. We're going to be looking at Psalm 3 tonight. Uh, We will be starting into a series, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, actually uh, three weeks. Next time we'll be together on Sunday evening, the next two Sunday nights. We will not meet next Sunday night because it's uh, Labor Day Eve. uh, And as we customarily do, we will take off that Sunday, holiday weekend Sunday night. And the next Sunday... Uh, It would be the first Sunday of the month. month. Normally, we would have first Sunday lunch on that day, but because the church picnic will be the previous evening, y'all come, uh, we will not be having the lunch on that first Sunday of September, September 7th, uh, but we still will not have the evening service or activities just to maintain our usual schedule. And uh, Lord willing, starting in September, we will begin a new series, What Is It You Ask? Uh, I'm asking the same thing. I'll let you know. uh, Several different ideas under consideration, praying about, uh, but I didn't see uh, much point in starting a series, only then to take off a a three-week break. So uh, tonight, uh, I was thinking through, praying through some things to look at, and uh, Psalm 3 stuck out to me as uh, as one of the early Psalms. Um, Of course, Psalm 1 is sort of a gateway to the book of Psalms. Psalm 2, uh, recognizing the Lord's reign over the the nations in spite of their resistance, in spite of their raging against him, and how utterly unconcerned God is uh, at the raging of the nations. In fact, he merely laughs at the uh, rage of the nations against him and the necessity to submit, to kiss the sun, submit to the Lord Jesus' reign. And the next two psalms sort of form a pair. Uh, As you'll see, Psalm 3 is thought of as a uh, morning psalm. Uh, So, of course, we're studying it in the evening. Uh, Psalm 4 is seen as as an evening psalm because of the way it ends. In verse 8, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Well, let's look at Psalm 3, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us by the truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen you will notice that this psalm begins with an inscription. Uh, In the ESV, it's the uh, small caps there that read, A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, as you look at these inscriptions, uh, there is some debate over the nature of them. Uh, Most, I think, the consensus opinion would be that they were not original with the psalms. Uh, and therefore uh, perhaps not inspired. Others might say they were not original, but in God's uh, superintendence, they were appended to the Psalms. Uh, So it's sometimes hard to know exactly how to take them, uh, but in this case, I think for the most part that they are basically reliable, inspired or not. Certainly those much closer to the situation uh, put them there, and perhaps in some cases the original author did as well. Well, this uh, superscription ascribes a psalm to David, a psalm of David, uh, when he fled from Absalom his son. And as we read that, uh, certainly the words of the psalm uh, fit well with those events uh, of David's life. In fact, we start out in verse 1 uh, where David is writing of an overwhelming situation. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. And you may recall uh, your Old Testament history. When David was uh, confronted by Nathan because of his adultery with Bathsheba, uh, we remember how uh, Nathan told the story of the, the rich man and the poor man with his lamb And uh, David's uh, anger at that injustice. And then Nathan, of course, turns the tables on David. You are the man. You are that one who took the poor man's one sheep. Uh, And David is cut to the heart. And um, he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan just as quickly says, you shall not die. But, however, there will be consequences to this wicked and sinful action of David. One of which was, as Nathan speaks to David, the Lord will raise up evil against you from within your own household. And in fact, that came to pass with David's son Absalom rebelling against David, rebelling against his father and against his reign, uh, developing a following, uh, covertly, and then when everything became evident, David fleeing Jerusalem, having to actually uh, escape to get out of the city with what seemed like uh, a relative few number who were loyal to him and who, are, who were with him. And so that's the experience that's being described here, this experience of David recognizing uh, just how many that maybe he thought were for him, actually are against him, to the point where he is having to flee the capital, to flee for his own life in the face of a rebellion coming from his own son. And you can imagine the, uh, the torment of soul involved in that, uh, guilt over what he had done, recognizing uh, this was a consequence of his sin, consequences of bad decisions, bad choices, that he had made, he had really brought this on himself, uh, the, the pain of uh, recognizing it was his own son, uh, one whom he obviously loved very much, uh, who was in rebellion against him, uh, anguished before God over uh, apparently at least uh, having to flee from his position as the king the one whom God anointed to reign over the people, uh, physical difficulty in, uh, in being out of the city and having to be on the run uh, in the face of this rebellion. And so there's tremendous anguish in these first verses. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. And he goes on to say in verse 2, many are saying of my soul, uh, which is probably a Hebrew way of saying of me, many are saying of me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. In other words, God has abandoned him. He no longer has God on his side. This is no longer the, uh, the David who went out and stood in the face of Goliath and defeated Goliath by the power of the Lord. God has removed his hand from David and therefore... He is uh, he's open, he's vulnerable to attack. He can be defeated because God is no longer with him or for him. Now, in the, uh, in the ancient Near East, that was an important concept. Uh, people tended to be keenly aware of the presence of God with them or the presence of God against them or of the gods. Uh, to have one's God with, with you uh, in, in conflict or in battle was a very important thing. We see this early on in 1 Samuel, where the the Israelites are fighting, they're at war with their uh, perennial uh, nemesis, the Philistines, and uh, they are defeated. And they go back and say, well, what went wrong? Well, we need God with us. And so they go and they get the Ark of the Covenant, and they take it with them into battle, right? Now God is with us. And we can't lose. And, and the Philistines pick up on this. You know, what is this What is this cheering? What's this noise, this uh, commotion over in the uh, Israelite camp? Oh no, a god has come into the camp. And that's their reaction. And so they rally themselves through the Philistines. We fight like men. Uh, we're going up against the Israelites and their god. And they do, and they fight, and they win. And they capture the Ark of the Covenant. A huge blow for Israel this precious object that uh, represented God's presence, God's covenant with them had been taken by their their hated despised enemies was now in the possession of these vile Philistines. Of course they were delighted the Philistines as you may recall, took the Ark of the Covenant and uh, put it in Dagon's temple. Uh, along with Dagon, maybe they were either offering this up to Dagon as the spoils of war, Dagon's mighty victory over Yahweh, or uh, maybe just adding the Israelite God to their own collection. Now we've got Dagon and Yahweh, you know, we're really tough, we're really strong. Only to get up the next day and find that Dagon had fallen down before the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that would never do, so they set Dagon back up. And the next day, sure enough, Dagon had fallen down again before the Ark of the Covenant. And his head and his hands had broken off. Uh, Dagon knew who the real God was. And uh, so, the, the, but the Israelites lost the ark, and of course Eli hears about this, and he, he falls over dead at the loss of the ark, a huge a, a, a tragedy for Israel, uh, and even if their confidence in the ark was somewhat superstitious, which it seems to be, if we just have the ark with us, you know, we can't fail. Uh, what they needed was the presence of God, not the symbol of the presence of God, uh, Then that's reflected here. They are saying of me, there is no salvation for him in God. God has abandoned him. God has removed himself from him. uh, And he's an easy prey. He's an easy target. And so for David, uh, the rumor that was out there that God was no longer with him, that God was no longer for him, was a dangerous thing. It basically was a target on his back. But that's not the whole story. David knows that whatever the rumor might be, uh, there's there's more going on here. He knows who he is. He knows who the Lord is. And he says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Whatever people might be saying, David knows that the truth is different. That the Lord, in fact, is his defender, a shield, the one who protects him uh, before and behind. David says, "He is You are, Lord, my glory. Uh, yes, David had sinned. Yes, he had messed up badly. Yes, he deserved the consequences that had come. But he also knew that, no, he was not cut off from God. Uh, yes, God is one who forgives. And David knew what it was to be forgiven. And even though the consequences of his sin are grave, God has not abandoned him. God has not removed himself from him, and David knows it. Not only is he his glory, he says, you are the lifter of my head. Now, a couple of ways we could understand that. One is simply the idea of uh, perhaps you've done this with a child who's just before you and terribly ashamed, and they're looking down, and you take their chin, and you just raise their head back up and say, you don't need to stand there ashamed. I still love you. I still value you. Uh, and that could well be what's going on here. However, uh, there's also an, this expression that occurs in, in other places, uh, perhaps one you might not readily think of, and yet it's an important uh, it's an important way of putting it. Uh, in Genesis chapter 40, where uh, Joseph is in prison um, with the cupbearer and with the baker. And remember, they had their dreams, and they asked Joseph about their dreams. And in uh, Genesis 40, verse 9, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So to lift up the head here has the the meaning of restoring to one's office, replacing you uh, to that place you held before uh, or to a place of honor. Uh, However, um, whether a play on that expression or just the dark side of it, uh, you also have the, the, uh, the cupbearer, or rather the, the baker. Uh, hearing the cupbearer's dream and its positive interpretation volunteers his own. Genesis 40:16. a dream where there were three cake baskets on my head, in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Uh, We trust it's the former and not the latter that uh, David had in mind here. Uh, Well, Whether it's full restoration or simply the removal of one's shame, uh, David is confident that the Lord has not abandoned him. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy Hill, from Zion, uh, the place of the Ark of the Covenant, um, now you and I have never had to flee at least i don 't think you have i haven't have not in the face of actual physical enemies, uh, perhaps from natural enemies, a hurricane or something like that, um, but in the midst of the difficulties here uh, that, that David describes, uh, even knowing. in in a sense, he's brought this on himself. He reminds himself and and declares the faithfulness of God, that God has not abandoned him. And that's true of us uh, and the difficulties that we face, maybe not on this magnitude, uh, but very real and very scary, very threatening nevertheless. Maybe some things we've even brought on ourselves to remember uh, that God is faithful, that he does not abandon us. And all the more, we who live in the new covenant, who know that our standing with God is won not by our own performance, but by that of the Lord Jesus. Uh, how much more are we assured uh, that the Lord is in fact a shield for us, our glory, the lift of our head, even in difficulties and in the face of opposition, uh, and we cry aloud to the Lord with confidence that he hears us, not from the holy hill of Mount Zion, but the heavenly Zion, God's uh, heavenly throne room. Well, David continues. It's a, it's a difficult, tumultuous situation. If you read about it, uh, you, you know the history of it. If David's being on the run, uh, uh, the, 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 the upheaval in his reign because of Absalom, the war against Absalom, all of this going on. And yet David can say in verse 5, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Uh, a very natural and normal part of life. Often when we're under stress, when things are scary, when life is difficult, sleep is sometimes hard to come by. Yet even with all this going on, David is able to say, i lay down, I slept, and I woke the next day uh, because the Lord cared for me, the Lord sustained me. And in fact, this uh, statement in verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Easier said than done. Uh, I'm sure even for King David, uh, to know that there are people out there after you. There are even, as he says here, thousands, many thousands of people uh, who are against you, who are opposed to you. And uh, even in the midst of that, David says, "I'll, I'll lay down, I'll sleep, I'll get up because the Lord sustains me and I will not be afraid. Well, then there's a direct appeal To the Lord. Verse 7 Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. He's been expressing his confidence in the Lord, the Lord's love, the Lord's protection, the Lord's sustaining. But now there's a direct appeal to the Lord uh, where he calls out to him to save him, calls out to him uh, for deliverance. Interesting words here. Arise, O Lord, in Numbers chapter ten. Uh, when the people were being led by the uh, pillar of cloud, the presence of the Lord in the pillar of cloud by day and a a pillar of fire at night, um, they would move as the Lord moved. And when the Lord in the pillar stood still, they would be still. They would set up camp. They would stay. But when that uh, pillar of of fire or pillar of cloud began to move, they would pack up camp and they would follow and at the end of Numbers chapter 10, Moses would say when the pillar of cloud would set out, when it became they, uh, evident that they were now to be on the move, he would say, Arise, O God, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And then when it would become still and they would establish the camp, he would say, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands, the tens of thousands, of, uh, ten thousands of thousands of Israel. Uh, And David's language reflects that. Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And I I think that's intentional. David knew the Old Testament. He knew what he he had to that point, the the books of Moses. And uh, the language, arise, O Lord, is calling on the Lord to go before, calling on the Lord to scatter the enemies, calling on the Lord to cause to flee those who hate him. And just as Jesus on the cross could quote uh, just a verse from a psalm to, in a sense, invoke the psalm in its entirety, when David says, Arise, O Lord, he is he's reflecting those words of Moses, calling on the Lord to be present, calling on the Lord to protect. Save me, O oh my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. I think, well, surely God could do more than that. <laughs> just a smack on the cheek. Well, the point is it's an insult, a a tremendous insult to to smack somebody on the cheek. It's just kind of an in-your-face snub. And uh, David is, in effect, calling on God to bring insult on his enemies just as they have insulted God and just as they have uh, arisen against God's anointed. In effect, just as they have brought insult to David, David calls on God to bring insult to them and to break their teeth to render them uh, powerless to harm. Some have suggested even uh, to render them speechless, their teeth full, or their mouth full of fragments of their teeth, so they can't talk, so they can't speak against David. Uh, I think the first is more likely, uh, the teeth of a wild animal are uh, what you want to uh, beware of, and uh, it's like a wild animal after David. He's saying, break your teeth, render them unable uh, to harm. So return their insults, render them incapable of doing harm to me, calling on the Lord uh, to, to protect him and to fight for him. And then he comes to the end with this verse, verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Interesting uh, how, how close that is to the statement Jonah makes. In Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, uh, remember, he's, he's recounting after he fled from the Lord, and the Lord delivered him uh, the Lord's protection. And he comes to the end and says, "Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord." Uh, it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said that verse, Jonah two verse nine, was the very essence of Calvinism. Salvation is of the Lord, and that's exactly what David says here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't depend on David's own strength. It doesn't depend on the strength or the weakness, the wisdom or the foolishness of David's enemies. It depends on the Lord. And David recognizes that. But then this becomes more than personal. This becomes national. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David recognized that as the Lord's anointed, the chosen king over Israel, that the well-being of Israel was tied up in his own well-being. And as long as he was on the run, as long as the nation uh, was in turmoil, they would not experience blessing. They would not experience the peace, the shalom, the blessing of the Lord. And so he prays for that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. your blessing be on your And that would come as the people followed the anointed king, David, and ultimately the line of David. But that's true to the present day. Uh, As we look at this psalm, again, we may experience this psalm because of life situations, because of difficulties and things that may arise, things that may come up that are scary. Uh, And yet, like David, we recognize the Lord's protection. We call on him to... Guard us, and in, uh, in Him we can lie down and rest and sleep in peace and know that uh, we arise in the morning because the Lord has sustained us. But this psalm also reflects something much, much bigger than our day to day or month to month, even year to year ups and downs. Uh, it, it, it depicts for us uh, a far greater battle that was fought and won on our behalf. Because the fact is that we are surrounded by the evil of sin, by the enemy of sin. And in fact, uh, as we look at this psalm, we would have to say we haven't really fully understood the psalm until we've recognized that uh, calling upon the Lord here ultimately for salvation is not just for physical deliverance, temporal deliverance, uh, but salvation from the eternal condemnation of our sin. And so as we look at this psalm, we are also celebrating the Lord's protection, not just in life, but in eternity. Christ has uh, fought the battle for us. He's gone to the cross. He's gone into the grave. He has come out victorious. Salvation does belong to the Lord. It has been won for us by the Lord Jesus, and the Lord's blessing is on his people because Jesus is the one who was surrounded by and defeated by our enemies but rose triumphantly. So that we can be safe, so that we can be saved, so that we can know the blessing of the Lord on his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm, these few short words. And Father, we can only imagine the reality of what David experienced in being pursued and being forced to flee for his life, being at war against his own son. And yet, Father, we thank You uh, that we have a greater King, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who, though He went to the cross, arose victoriously from the grave for us. Thank You, Father, that we are secure in Him. Thank You that because Christ has died and is risen, You are indeed uh, the lifter of our heads. You are the one who is our shield. You are the one who is our glory. Father, thank you that because of our Savior, we can lie down and sleep in peace and arise in the morning knowing you have sustained us. But Father, one day, we will lie down and sleep in peace and we will not awaken again in this world. We thank you, O God, especially at that time, that we will, in fact, as David has said here, uh, awake again. Awake again in eternity. Awake again in glory. Awake again in Your presence. Because You, Lord, have sustained us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.